Hello, I'm Alex and this is the Northern Guides to Happiness. Welcome to episode 37 in this current series of the podcast. Thanks to everyone who's listened so far and welcome if you're just joining us. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with Chris and Kath and also for the first time since the Geordie Guide podcast, we've got Dominic. How is everyone? Super. Delighted now Dom's here. Yeah. Everything better. Slightly old school reunion. (laughs) How are you, Dom? I'm good, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to log in for like months, but uh, <laughs> nobody's been telling me when, you know, you've been meeting without Change me. Change the passwords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's everyone been up to? I've spent the afternoon in the Exchange Theatre in North Shields, yeah. which mm. is very nice. Doing yes. what? A planning meeting for Heritage Action Zone work and trying to count how many pieces of scaffolding they've got in the building oh. because there's thousands of them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> inside and out. <laughs> yeah. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, so that was my afternoon. Cool. What about you, Chris? Well, I, I had lunch with you, Alex. Do you not remember? Yeah, we're sick of the sight of each other today. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we get invited? Because. Oh. oh, awkward. You didn't ask. Yeah. <laughs> and a very nice chicken pie. It was, it's very nice. Thank you. Thank mm, you, Goss, for the Civic Theatre for hosting us. So we've all been to the theatre. Ah. Well, yeah. I've, well I've, been, I've been setting up an artist studio in the exchange. So oh. I'm well acquainted with all the scaffolding. Yes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. But why is it still windy? Uh, don't just, look at me. No, okay. Thanks, sorry. <laughs> This was last week's thing, as I thought it was just going to end up sounding like a, some sort of haunted mansion from my side because it's outside and it's doing it again today. My poor, uh, my poor, nearly sixteen-year-old Jack Russell was completely blown off his feet this afternoon oh, when I took him out oh, for a walk. Oh, just, oh, yeah, so just just sat down and was like, "No, I'm not going any further." <laughs> <laughs> it's just too windy. When will it stop? Well, there, there were there were two women on the seafront at Tynemouth on Friday afternoon. That was me and my sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to take a very dark turn. Didn't it? Yeah, it was again. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, no, it, it worked. It worked, but it was very windy. Yes, quite spectacular, but uh, <laughs> but very windy. It wasn't even our night to go to the pub either, so we couldn't. <laughs> Never mind. Forget that one. <laughs> Dom, shall I hand over to you and you can introduce this week's guest interview? Yeah, I had a fantastic time interviewing Rod Clements, who some of you will know as one of the original members of Lindisfarne. Rod wrote their first hit, Meet Me on the Corner, which won him an Ivor Novello Award. He's released a lot of his own amazing solo work over the years, as well as having played in a number of other great folk bands. And he's a northern chap, having been born and raised in North Shields. And he's generally an all-around decent, intelligent, really interesting person to talk to. This is without doubt one of my favorite interviews that i've ever done so uh yeah over to rod hello rod clements hello Welcome dominic to to happiness. Uh, thank you i'm very very happy to join you uh rod can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh sure yes um i was brought up in north shields um my childhood was through the the 50s really and um, I went to boarding school in Durham I went to Durham Uni and um, 
I started playing guitar in my teens and uh, most of my musical career has been associated with Lindisfarne one way or mm-hmm. another and uh, I really joined the band in 2015 and that's most of what I do at the moment. Uh, I, I live up in Northumberland um, in a fairly rural location <coughs> but um, mm-hmm. quite well placed for Tyneside and getting around and about generally. And how's the weather been in uh, up in Northumberland? Um, well, recently. yesterday wasn't as bad as it was advertised to be, actually. Uh, yeah. Not for us. We had a very heavy rain squall about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. But the yeah. um, the advertised power cuts and things didn't materialise here. Although well, I, that's believe, good. I believe some people have had them. Um, yeah. But of course, we've got worse to come, you tell me. Later tonight yes. and tomorrow. Yes, I, I saw there's a, a yellow snow warning, which is <laughs> it always makes me giggle a little bit. I'm afraid for yellow snow. Yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've all seen that before. <laughs> so, um, so this podcast's on the theme of happiness, um, and I guess um, I'll start the, by, with a really open question of uh, what is happiness for you. Um. Happiness is all sorts of things to me. Um, one of the places I'm happiest is actually playing on stage with the band, mm-hmm. luckily. Um, yeah. l- luckily for me, because it's something I do quite a lot. But uh, kind of um, ancillary to playing music, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of downsides to it in the way of travel and uh, mm-hmm. and business and gear to maneuver and uh, politics and all this kind of thing yeah. but uh, but once you get on stage it's what makes it worthwhile it kind of re- reduces it to the essence of why I started doing it in the first place it's uh, yeah. playing a guitar with me mates making music having a good time and uh, making people happy to pay to come and hear it fortunately yeah what's yeah. not to like yeah yeah so all of the all of the uh, the work around being on stage that people don't see make makes it all worthwhile once you get on there and it does you're in the it, moment it, it does absolutely and uh, and of course every every audience is different every gig mm. becomes a special occasion it's a new adventure every time even if you're going back to the same place for the third or fourth yeah. or hundredth time it's it's a different audience and it's a, it's a different feel. You you you're you're turning over the first page of a new book every time you walk on stage, and you yeah. don't know what the, that chapter is going to hold. But um, yeah. but it's in it's it's in your hands. It's in it's in my hands and the and the people that I play with, and um, and somehow we make it happen, uh, and that's very f- fulfilling, gratifying. Um, to the extent that sometimes when I'm not do when I haven't done it for a, a while, if if we have a few weeks off, I, I, I feel a, a bit at a loose end. I feel a bit superfluous, you know. But as yeah. as soon as I get out there and do it again, uh, I feel fulfilled. Yeah. And are there are there any particular gigs that stand out in memory? Um, there's there's quite a few actually. Um, I would say the first Lindisfarne reunion in 1976 after we'd had a uh, two or three years off back at Newcastle City Hall w- mm. was was a great one, um, a, a really memorable gig. Um, 
the first gig I did when I rejoined the, the band in 2015 because um, mm. uh, the, the band had been going on for um, a, a couple of years with a, a slightly different lineup, and that changed mm. and they invited me back in, uh, which was great because they were they're all, all guys I've known for a long time that I feel comfortable yeah. playing with. In fact, the bass player, Ian, uh, he and I had been going out as a duo quite a bit, just me playing acoustic guitar, him playing double bass. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, but lots of gigs, really. Um, I, I used to run a gig here in Rothbury uh, called Rothbury Roots, which mm -hmm. lasted for about 10 years. And we had, it was kind of like a folk club, really, at the Queen's Head in Rothbury. And uh, I enjoyed doing that, but I particularly enjoyed playing there to the local audience, you know, and you know, pe yeah. people I know in the village and, and locally. But I should add, um, music and playing music isn't the only thing that makes me happy. Um, I, I've got lots of uh, um, <clears throat> supplementary interests. I've got... Um, I've got a big garden with a, a, a bit of woodland at the top of it, and uh, it's it's not a particularly well kept or kempt garden, so there's always <laughs> lots to do. But uh, I, I love getting out there. I, I love uh, cutting cutting wood and clearing mm. up and uh, making things. Uh, one of my other happy places is the the barn I've got next door to the house, where mm. I do me. You would work and, uh, you know, build things in a crude sort of way, mess about with guitars and things like that. What's, what's, so what sort of things do you build in there? Um, I, I've, I, I built a workbench. I built a, um, a log store, uh, which kind of looks like a, a, a crude four-poster bed and mm. um, a sawhorse and uh, I fixed bits of furniture and things like that. Or have you got like uh, one of those pegboards with the with the tools with the drawing around the tools so you know where they go? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, no, I'm not that uh, anal. I'm I'm glad to say, I've got. No, I'm not critical of that. I, you know what? That's that's <laughs> well, you, an aspiration have, for me. <laughs> it's a goal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. No, I've I've got shelves with clutters of tools all all over them. But but I know where yes. everything is. Yeah, and a, a million different power adapters just in case. Just in case. In case you need them again. Yeah. 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 Boxfuls of Allen keys, and you can never find the one you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I inherited uh, a load of my granddad's old tools, and they're just like that. The files where he's made his own handles out of a piece of wood from the garden and stuff Brilliant. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love all I love that. Them. Yeah, um, <laughs> having, having to make tools to do a particular job is yeah. is great. That's a that's a really satisfying thing to do. Yeah. Um, I've I've got uh, I've, I've I've got a bit of a collection of uh, old electric guitars. I collect uh, vintage Japanese stuff, which oh, I nice. pick, pick up cheap on eBay. Yeah. Um, I, I went through a phase of that. It, it, at least I've stopped doing it now because I've got too many of them. <laughs> but uh, I, I like doing them up, and, um, seeing if I can make them playable, and if so, I can you know I, I either play them myself or. Or sell them yeah. on, or that because that, that's the theory anyway. I haven't sold that many, but that's that's the <laughs> no. plan. That's what you keep telling yourself. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. not just myself. I tell that. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, is there a, is that a particular model of guitar then? You're saying Japanese guitars? Is uh, there... I've, I've got a particular thing about a brand called Taisco, mm-hmm. who are uh, no longer existent. They got taken over by Kawaii uh, around mm-hmm. about 1970. But yeah. uh, they made some quite remarkable designs in the early 60s, through the 60s, until yeah. they just started making Fender copies and Gibson copies and yeah, uh, and things like that. But they've got great pickups called gold foil pickups, mm-hmm. which have got a very particular sound. They're, they're like um, like a Telecaster sound, but thicker. Mm-hmm. You know, they're almost getting on to um, Gibson type um, thickness, but but they've got, they've got the cutting edge of a Tele. So they're great for slide, which is my speciality. It's your thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think when we first met, I accidentally made a joke about Dobros. <laughs> and I heard his shout, hey! <laughs> yes, that would be me. <laughs> so, tinkering in sheds is a, is a recurring theme. Is it really? Yes, funnily well, enough, eh? Well, it doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah, something about it, isn't it? It's that time to fix things that are broken. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, usually make them worse, but it gives you something else to do. Yeah, yeah, or you get um, happy accidents as well, and yeah, and that's always good. So, is there a difference in terms of feedback you get from an audience when you're playing solo compared to with the band? What's they're a lot quieter the solo <laughs> gigs. Um, yeah, Lindisfarne audiences tend to be quite noisy, in a yeah. good way. You know, when it gets to yeah. the end of the night and everybody's singing along and yeah. stuff like that. Um, the solo gigs I do, uh, well, the, the, the music is obviously quieter in in one sense, which mm-hmm. uh, doesn't mean it's necessarily lacking in energy, but the kind of material I do is more, um, uh, I was going to say introverted. It's not quite uh, in, introspective, perhaps it's more more reflective, you know, I do more mm-hmm. folk uh, material, um, blues-based material, um, obviously solo versions of my own songs, which are as they were before the band got hold of them and did a, a, a kind of a full band arrangement. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to think that people are quite surprised when they hear that, mm-hmm. actually, because they're hearing... Uh, the same songs in, in a in a different light, yeah. And uh, it, it, it again, it's it's satisfying, but in a different kind of way. It's a different challenge to me how I play yeah. them uh, and how I how I put them over. I mean, yeah. um, when, when I do solo gigs, I well, basically, I sing everything. Whereas in the band, I sing about a third of yeah. of the songs. So um, some of the songs people aren't used to hearing me, the writer, sing them. Yeah. And that's that's, yeah. that's a nice change, so, something nice to do. Yeah, it's a more direct connection with the, with the with the song as well, isn't it, when it's a person who's written it that's singing it as well? Uh, well, yeah. exactly. Uh, and in, in many ways, I'd always rather hear the person that wrote it sing it because um, they're, they're, they've obviously got a more intense personal relationship with it but their their meaning, uh, their intent behind the song, can come out with less delivery. You know, it has to be. It's yeah. it, it's, it's less forced or showy than uh, yeah. than a singer singing somebody else's stuff tends to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's what's your process for writing songs? And if if that's not too deep, I mean, does a 
is there a kind of just sit down at a desk with a typewriter or i wish i knew <laughs> it's been a long time since i've done it actually really uh, yeah but yeah my, my writing has kind of fallen by the wayside uh, a, mm. a bit lately it's a couple of years since i've uh, written anything uh, they're they're really uh, in in recent years there's really had to be an incentive to mm. do it there's had to be you know somebody saying we need an album or we need some songs or, yeah. or, or whatever uh, and then I'll apply myself to it uh, I had a good working relationship with a guy called Nigel Stonier uh, who's a uh, record producer based in Cheshire and mm. uh, he, he and I got together we, we, we got friendly and uh, it was his idea that I should start making solo albums and, mm. and he kind of pushed me into doing that we ended up co-writing quite a lot of stuff together mm -hmm. and uh, when, when it's a project in hand and you've got somebody else sitting beside you working on it you know it yeah it, it, it brings more out and and that was very successful so I, yeah I, I might try that try that again we'll, we'll see yeah deadlines deadlines yeah 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 i write uh, I, I write a magazine column for um R&R magazine. It used to be called Rock and Real. Oh yes, yeah. And and then it was called R2, and now it's called R&R. I, I I don't know why, but um, comes out every two months, and I and I contribute a, a column to that every month, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm always hitting the dead or running well past the deadline with <laughs> with with that. But it always works. I always seem to manage to produce something, you know, yeah. if, even if it's a week late when it's the absolute you know this really yeah. is the deadline uh, i seem to be able to manage it and it's a it, it's a simple enough brief i mean it's a it's a music mag i'm a musician so i've basically i can write about anything i like provided it's vaguely to do with music and provided it's vaguely funny or <laughs> amusing so i've written um i've just finished the 67th one Wow. And, and submitted it. And uh, it only comes out once every two months. But, yeah. you know, after 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 60 odd um, columns, it's uh, all the increasingly a challenge to find something to write about. So yeah. I find myself at the at, at the last minute, you know, looking through the news to see if there's a news story about, you know, <laughs> downloads or some latest scandal or something like that that I can. Yeah. Uh, twist into shape this this latest one was about that um tory minister who got up and said we should sing the national anthem every day uh, on uh, on the bbc yeah so, so that enabled me to go into a rant about national anthems <laughs> yeah there's, i mean there are, there are schools of thought um not about the tories there are lots of schools of thought about the tories that i won't go into no that, but um, not. it's supposed to be about happiness <laughs> There, uh, but about um, about creativity, aren't there? And there's there's some some people who can just they'll be spontaneous and they'll have that moment and they'll capture it and it'll yeah. become a song or a, or a painting or whatever medium it yeah. is that they yeah. they can express themselves best with. And there's the other one that you have to turn up for it, so you have to be present every day. You have to have like a, a you know a structure to your day yeah. in which I'll sit down and I won't leave my desk until I've written. Like five hundred words, or and some days you have absolutely nothing, but eventually something comes, you know, and yeah. you wouldn't have caught that if you weren't there for it, sort yeah. of thing. 
I, I actually so, think that is the best way to do it. But I, you know, I'm not very good at taking my own advice in, no, in that respect. No, me neither. Because if you keep doing it, if you have a process, um, for one thing, you develop a, a technique. You yeah. know, like more like a musician um, learning yeah. to play an instrument. Um, if it's if it's writing or, or something like that, there are techniques similar to, to playing an instrument to, to to do with that. And the more you do it, the more familiar you get with the techniques. Yeah. So when in, when inspiration does come, you can um, you can treat it much more spontaneously rather than yeah. having to to labour over it. And and that yeah. I think is a, a good place to be. Like you know, like the story about um, was it Picasso um, drawing a fish on a napkin, you know, and do it, do it in about two seconds and gave, giving it to somebody, and it's an yeah. absolute brilliant drawing of a fish which he just dashed off. But if he hadn't had all those years of experience and been a genius, he wouldn't yeah. have been able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It took him. It took him a lifetime to be able to, to, be able to do that in two minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with that. And there's there's something about um, this kind of state of flow that you get into when you when you can do that when you can kind of prompt that moment. Yeah. That when the the rest of the world just becomes extraneous and you're and you're, you're doing your thing. Yes, yeah. uh, I, I I think there's there's a lot in that, and it um, it it brings to mind um, jazz players. You know, if you read about yeah. a, lot, a lot of uh, genius jazz players going right back to the to the twenties and, and and throughout. They yeah. they live it the whole time, you know. Yeah. That they that they live amongst um, people who think the same way, and they're they're kind of in their own jazz world, and yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and they they're never off it. They're, yeah. You know, they're always either either playing, thinking about playing, talking about playing, or yeah. you know, asleep or whatever. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a state of um, I suppose they would call it constant hip or constant cool or something like that, where they're always in in the mood. You know, they're always in tune with with what yeah. they're, what they're trying to do. Out of the musicians that you've encountered over the years, who would you say that you know or knew that was in the most constant state of cool? Um, I'm trying to think of any at the moment, but I was very fortunate for a long time. Uh, earlier in my life to work with Bert Jansch and um, he exemplified that. He, uh, yeah. he, he, he was totally music all the yeah. time. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I spent, um, I, I, I stayed with him sometimes and he stayed at, uh, at my place sometimes when I, when I lived in London and um, would go to the pub and would get back and he'd start writing songs. And uh, eventually, I'd crash out. And when I got up in the morning, he'd still be there, still writing songs, still doing it. Yeah, brilliant. And yeah. Uh, and of course, he's playing. I don't, I don't know if you know he's playing very well, but it's he's uh, yeah one of my absolute heroes. Yeah, is he really? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know what a phenomenal player. Yeah, he he is, or 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 rather was. Yeah. And um, actually, there was a, an article in the Guardian last week. Um, Kind of Q and A thing with Johnny Marr. Mm -hmm. Did you see that? No, but I'm aware that Johnny Marr uh, was uh, a big Bert Jansch fan. Well, know, they they asked him who, the, who his main influences were, and Bert yeah. was the only one he gave. Yeah, 
uh, and, oh, and he yeah. said quite a lot about him as well. He went on to cover Davy Graham and Martin Carthy, kind of as adjuncts to, to Bert, but, you know, yeah. uh, definitely Bert was the, uh, the the one he homed in on. And it's it's funny because I can't, I mean, I like Johnny Marr's playing. I, th- I think he's a great electric guitarist. I think the parts he's, that he comes up with are great, but I can't really hear a lot of Bert in it. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It was a surprise to me when I when I found out that he was talking about Bert Jansch and, and seeing how much he followed him, because uh, I hadn't heard it either. But it, there must be something in there, I guess. Um, no, when I was growing up, my dad used to drag me along to uh, Ashington Folk Club. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't get to see Bert Jansch play, but I saw I saw a bunch of the others, you know, uh, John Renborn and Martin Carthy playing and yeah, various, yeah, various others, but. Um, I think I picked up a Bert Jansch sampler album at a car boot fair when I was about 14, 15. Yeah. And all my mates were in heavy metal, you know, and I had to kind of keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to blow my cool. Yeah. But I was just like in awe of it and have been ever since, you know. Yeah. I might have played there with Bert myself, actually. Um, really? At Ashington? Well, we, we definitely did folk clubs in the in the area. I mean, we did quite a few folk clubs. Round and about the, the the country, I remember we played at Annick Playhouse definitely, um, mm-hmm. and, and I've played at Ashington Folk Club. I can't remember whether it was with Bert or, or, or not, but uh, yeah, we had a couple of uh, spells of um, going out and doing gigs together, and yeah, yeah it was it was quite an experience. In fact, yeah. it was up here. This maybe again not so much of a happiness thing but Bert was staying with me in Rothbury when he was taken ill uh, right. and had, had to get taken to Ashington Hospital he was in Ashington Hospital for for quite a long time because uh, his pancreas basically blew up uh, yeah. and that was why he had to stop drinking which he yeah. he, 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 he was a big drinker and, yeah. and that was part part and parcel of what he was really uh, yeah. except it was getting the upper hand with him and uh, and when he was forced to stop, he, well, he was told, you know, stop or you'll die. Mm-hmm. But nobody was too, too sure which one he'd opt for, really. Yeah. Um, but he, he opted to, to stop and stay alive, which he did for another 28 years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that, you know, when you're performing in places where, the, it, I mean, there's always a bar, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and there's always drink around, and so on the on the rider. If you don't, even if you don't ask for it, there's like a crate of ale in the in the green room sometimes. Yeah, yeah, just an occupational kind of illness in a in a way. It's uh, it, it's an occupational hazard as well because yeah. um, you you want to be in the right frame of mind when you go on, mm-hmm. and if and if you've uh, gone on in the right frame of mind when you've had a drink, and the next time you don't feel in the right frame of mind. You, yeah, you tend to have a drink to put you in the right frame of mind, and yeah. that's where it becomes a dependency rather than a, um, a, a spirits raiser, shall we say? Yeah, it, it happens in in, uh, in other art forms as well. You know that kind of getting people believing that they need something to help them get into the zone. Yeah, to yeah. be creative, you know, and uh, it might work for a little while, but then it becomes your enemy rather than your friend. Exactly. It? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, you know, I'm really glad he, he ch- chose a second option. Yes, and uh, yeah, me, me too, me too. 
Yeah. I, I worked into towards it myself. I do still like a drink occasionally. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you lived with Bert for a while, and that was was that down in London, was it? That was yeah, that was in London. I um, I moved down to London at, at the very beginning of the seventies at the behest of the record company that Lindisfarne signed with. It was mm-hmm. a condition of the contract that we moved to London. Really? Yeah. The major move. Yeah, yeah. Um, well. I, I could see the sense in it. Uh, I mean, we didn't like it, but uh, it did make a lot of sense because when it came to um, talking to the media or going on the radio or going on telly or something yeah. like that, we were there on the doorstep. Yeah. And um, and I suppose we kind of became in in the zone, as we were talking about, because yeah. we'd, we'd left our normal lives behind. We were just... We had nothing to do but be a band in London, yeah, and go out and do gigs or meet the media or or go to the pub or practice or or something, yeah. you know, or or go to the studio. So mm. we were a band all the time. So it was a really creative moment. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I continued living in London after the um, after the band more or less uh, broke up the first time round, and uh, I started working with um, Michael Chapman was actually the first guy to give me a, a freelance gig as, as a bass player. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ralph McTell, who I knew from the old folk club days, asked me to uh, come and play on a Bert Jansch session that he was mm-hmm. producing. Uh, and, and I hadn't met Bert before, but mm-hmm. uh, the occasion I met Ralph at Sorry, this is getting a bit convoluted. I went yeah. to a gig. Ralph was there. We met up and he, he invited me to participate in this project. And Bert was there as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we were introduced, we actually met up in the men's room together, standing next <laughs> to each other. And I went, oh, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> so then we, uh, we went back through and met up with Ralph and, and kind of, formalized the arrangement as it were so i went mm-hmm. into studios about, about a week later and did uh, bert's version of in the bleak midwinter which mm-hmm. was supposed to be his christmas single and and there was a bit of time left over at the end and ralph said can we do one of mine so we did streets of london mm-hmm. and that became his christmas hit oh well, so you you play on that I, I play the bass on that yeah <laughs> and uh, and bert's in the bleak midwinter, sadly wasn't, uh, but it did find a slot on um, some compilation CD, you know, like a ten CD box set called "The Thousand Best Christmas Songs of All Time," <laughs> something like that. And, and Bert, Bert and me are on that. That's one to one to look out for. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, in the bleak midwinter, I think it's on YouTube or it'll be on Spotify or somewhere. I'm sure. So was that because was that the time when the, you were playing in the Bert Jansch conundrum? Was that around the same time? Or? It became called conundrum after I'd left. Mm-hmm. We did uh, well. Bert and Ralph were both based in Putney. I was living in Finchley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up spending practically more time in Putney than I did at home in Finchley. Uh, mm-hmm. But my marriage and Bert's marriage both finished around about the same time. And uh, and Bert ended up coming to live in my house in Finchley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while we were there, we formed a, a, a little band 
which was Bert, myself, Mike Piggott, the fiddle player, and Pick Withers on drums. Yeah. And uh, we had a Scandinavian tour booked, and Mike couldn't go, so we got a guy called Martin Jenkins in, who used to play around Tyneside, actually, in a band called Hedgehog Pie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we went off to Scandinavia together, and um, and that was where I met my current partner, who I've been with mm-hmm. now for 45 years, uh, in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's another area of my life I would like to explore in terms of happiness, actually. Stockholm. Geographical connections, generally. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Bert, uh, we, we, we did that tour. Bert lived with me for a few months in um, in Finchley. And then round about the same time, um, the, the decision was taken or an invitation was made for Lindisfarne to get back together. And I basically couldn't afford not to, you know. It was, yeah. Um, had a lot more going for it than um, than the Bert Jans band did, unfortunately. Yeah. Much, much yeah. to my regret. Well, there's, there's some brilliant video of you playing on uh, YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a moment where you're playing, I think, a mandolin, and then you have to quickly pick up a bass guitar as well. So you kind of you uh, have multi-layered instruments. That oh, you're holding right. Well, it's not fiddle. Are you talking about the frog on the tongue fiddle bit? No, no, no. Um, with Bert Jansch. Oh, with Bert. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I'll have to look out for that. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was like you were like, you know, kind of like juggling the instruments. Yeah. As you kind of. <laughs> I would have been, I remember that. I, I can yeah. re- probably remember which song it was. It was probably Curror of Kildare. But, uh, oh, it was, it was great playing with Bert. I mean, it really, it really stretched me and challenged me because he was, mm. he could be quite a challenging character. I mean, he was a lovely guy, yeah. but he expected high standards. Yeah, uh, he, he applied high standards to himself as far as playing was was concerned, and he expected the same level of commitment from uh, from the people that played with him. So yeah. it, it 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 was a bit of a stretch, but it was um, immensely rewarding. And I and I produced an album for him as well, which was kind of his comeback album after he'd done two American albums. He did one called mm-hmm. "L.A. Turnaround," produced by Michael Nesmith, which is great. And then he did a one called Santa Barbara Honeymoon, produced by the drummer, which is not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then he d- decided to do the next one back in London, and his management uh, asked yeah. me to produce it. So it was yeah. very much a return to his roots. And that yeah. album was actually called A Rare Conundrum. Yeah. Uh, and, and Bert's subsequent band, After I Left, he named after that album. Right, that's how it, that's how it yeah. came to be. Yeah. So, I was going to ask you about uh, coming back to Newcastle and coming back to the northeast, but actually, tell me a bit about Stockholm. What did you spend much time there? Or, um, well, I can generalise a bit more than that. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been very drawn to the idea of the north yeah. as as a concept. Mm-hmm. And you are asking me about favourite places and and happy places, and apart from um, being on stage, obviously, uh, one of my favourite places is the Northumberland coast, uh, the, the whole of the Northumberland coast, from North Shields right up to to Berwick. Really, I just think it's uh, 
uh, that it's fantastic scenery in a beautiful place is is a commonplace. You know, there's, there's n- nothing revelatory about saying that. But I feel very um, fulfilled and almost um, somehow transcendent being there. You know, you feel as though you're part of something larger, something broader, more yeah. open. Uh, and I, I find the sea and the air very restorative yeah. and very regenerative, really. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick a particular place on the Northumberland coast, I'd probably say Bamborough, because that's where we used to go for family holidays when I was little, when yeah. when the family lived in North Shields. And um, as well as being a, a, a good centre point for the rest of the Northumberland coast, it, it kind of... Um, encapsulates all of its virtues in one place. Yeah. You've, got, you've got the fa- fantastic beach, the landscape, the, the Farne Islands, you know, it was always... I think probably my first sight of the Farne Islands, uh, approaching it, you know, as, as you approach the coast and seeing these, you know, like the, the whale shape of the inner Farne mm-hmm. out there, you go, wow, I didn't know we had those around here. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a real kind of turn-on. Yeah. And when I when I was a kid, uh, I went to school in Tynemouth, and uh, when I was when I was very little, my mum used to collect me from school, and we used to always go to the beach or just for a walk along the prom or play crazy golf or something like yeah. that, and uh, and would see the, um, the the boat the the Scandinavian boat leave, yeah. uh, and I would say where where's that going? And she told me oh, it's going to Denmark or to Bergen or, or wherever. So I had this idea from a very early age that there's somewhere on the other side of the sea. And I used to even have dreams about it when I was a kid, that I could see little towns and houses and things on yeah. on the horizon. And they were like, you know, a mirror image of North Shields and Tynemouth in, in my mind's eye. Yeah. And when I got old enough... Um, I basically, when I became a musician and went there with Bert was the first time. You, you get there, you get to these little Danish towns, and they are, they are at the mirror image of North yeah. Shields and Tynemouth. And you feel like you're there, you feel like you're there, but on the other side of the mirror, the, the opposite yeah. way around. So from then on, I've always had this thing about the North Sea. I love all the, the you know, apart from our coast, I love the... Um, the Belgian coast, the North German coast, Denmark, uh, uh, and all that. I, th- I think it's fantastic. And, and then the Baltic, I you know, discovered the, the, the Baltic coast and the Baltic islands. And they, they all have the same effect on me. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it wasn't the first time I'd been to Stockholm, but I went there with Bert um, in 1976. And uh, I went, we, we did this gig in Stockholm on my 29th birthday. And um, and I met this lady there who had been married to a friend of mine in Scotland, although I'd, I'd never met her while, while, while she was in Scotland. And they'd broken up, but he said to her, uh, my mate Rod's going to be playing in Stockholm, you should go along and, and, and see him. And that was the first time I met her. And um, we had a, you know, we had a, we, we had a nice time hanging out and, you know, chatting about mutual friends and things like that. Um, and then the next time I went 
was the following February with Michael Chapman. And I spent all day trying to track her down, trying to find her in the phone book and, and mm. stuff like that. And, uh, and she came to the gig. And that oh. was that. And here we still are, 45 years on. <laughs> and what does she think of the Northeast? And what does she, what does she make of Northumberland? Oh, yes, yes, she, she loves it. I mean, she's, she's got a, the, 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 the kind of Scandinavian viewpoint to what I have. You know, she's seen it mm-hmm. from the other way around. And she, yeah. she, she lived in Scotland from uh, her early teens because her, her mother uh, relocated to Scotland. Ah, and, yeah. and they lived on the east coast of Scotland, to Dundee, yeah. Aberdeen, St Andrews and places like that, um, yeah. before um, she relocated. And in fact, I've got friends in Scotland now, people like Rab Noakes, who, mm. who've known her longer than I have because they knew her when, <laughs> when, she, when she was in Scotland. Yeah. Um, so she's, yeah. she, she, she understands that east coast thing as well. And yeah, it, it, I mean, Stockholm is, is just such a, a wonderful city. It's not unlike Newcastle in, in that it's a waterfront mm-hmm. city, um, but it's uh, it, it, it's a very beautiful city. Not that Newcastle isn't, but I mean, mm-hmm. Newcastle's beauty has just been kind of rediscovered or regenerated in yeah. recent years after the you know the grimy industrial past. Yeah. Uh, whereas Stockholm has always had that that light, you know, and a, a much bigger waterfront a much wider expanse of water and then it's yeah. it's got the island so you can go on a i was going to say a cruise but it's more like a bus really it's like it, it, it it's a, a a ship ferry that goes out to all the islands in the archipelago outside yeah. of stockholm um some of which are just breathtakingly beautiful and you can just yeah. hop on and spend the whole day going from island to island and come back again or you can you know get off and spend However long you want on on one of the islands, and yeah. uh, it's 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 just beautiful, and it has that similar regenerative effect yeah. on me. You know, it's a combination of water and light and space. I think. Yeah, it's a similar uh, similar temperament as well, and, and sense of humour. I find. Yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, my 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 granny and granddad uh, from Northumberland, and their accents. And the uh, kind of the guttural R that they had, and uh, uh, the you know the gadgets and Ganyam and all that is kind of old Norse, isn't it? So absolutely, yeah. And yeah. bands and words like that. Yeah. That that has to be one of my favourite northern words. That actually bands. Bands, <laughs> but once I mean, I I don't speak Swedish very well. I I, I can read about enough of it to read, uh, you know, road signs and street signs or a menu or something like that. Yeah. But when you understand the vagaries of pronunciation or rather the, the, the spelling, because the words aren't always pronounced the way they look to yeah. to English eyes, you see a lot more yeah. sim- similarities, you know, yeah. a, a lot more words that, that sound the same, like uh, all, all the, um, the the chirping town names like Nord Chirping and, and Jon Chirping. Which look like nor coping or John yeah, coping yeah. in English. It's actually chirping, which means a market, and it's the same word as shop. Oh. It's our word for shop. Yeah. yeah. So you can, you can unravel it, you can unpick it, and yeah. yeah. 
So we'll start to wrap up a little bit. What advice would you give to others? What rules have you found in life that help maintain your happiness levels? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question. Yeah. I wish uh, I knew and I wish I could follow them yeah. more closely. Uh, yeah. Happiness, you know, um, you can't be happy all the time. Yeah. Um, any, anybody who is or aspires to be has probably got something missing. Yeah, yeah they'd be irritating, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> they are. I know people. <laughs> it's, it's a relative quality, you know, and I've, I've often thought, you know, the American um, constitution thing about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's always struck me that the pursuit is more important than the happiness. Than, and um, the, the phrase almost suggests that, that, that you won't necessarily find it. You pursue it. And, and I, th I think the, the pursuit of it is probably as good an answer as any. You know, if, you, if, if you're pursuing something, you'll kind of, you, you'll kind of find it in, in yeah. a sense. might not be the sense you're expecting to. It's, the, it, it's kind of a parallel with that thing about you have to make the journey home before you realize that home is the journey. Rules for trying to remain content or achieve happiness. I think you've got to. One important one is this too will pass. Whatever you're going through, it's not going to last forever. You're not going to mm. last forever. Nothing, you know, it's, it, it'll be over eventually. In in one, even the uh, even the tough ones like grief. You know, you 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 kind of take on board. You, you it becomes part of you. You, you know. You, you would never stop grieving for that person, but you kind of honour them in their memory yeah. and and get on with your life doing the positive things, as as they would have wanted you you to. And uh, you know the other things are the, the obvious things like you know uh, don't do harm to people and 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 then it won't come back on you. Don't overdo it. You know don't. Uh, because I mean, like we were saying before about um, drinking and getting in the frame of mind, you know, mm. there's always a come down to yeah. that. So you've got to learn, you know, how far you can go without without it yeah. coming back to bite you. Yeah. If you think of anything else, let me know. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rod. That's a pleasure, Dominic. Really was. Thank you. So that was Rod. Uh, what a fascinating interview. Um, so I haven't done this for a while, actually. This is, this is quite exciting. Uh, we have uh, to keep that in. We'll keep that in. Just let us speak, please. Yeah. yeah, so over to you guys. What did you think? Well, I, I thought that was utterly enchanting. I mean, I love the, the, um, the, the kind of the geek jokes and the geek discussions about difference between Gibson's tellies and strats. And thank you for, the, for all that. That was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was good to hear. But no, the, the, the enchanting bit for me was that whole story he told about meeting his current partner um, over in, where was it? Stockholm. I yeah. can't remember now. Yeah, Stockholm. Yeah. Um, but it was beautiful. It's just kind of the way that he was describing almost this kind of like mirror of the northeast coast of England, kind of over over the other side mm. of the North Sea, and that's where he found his soulmate. And it's it's the basis for the our most wonderful song, which he's probably already written, and I just haven't heard. Um, but no, I, I just kind of came away for like, oh, that's that's just such a lovely image, this sort of mirror of of us over there, and you know, all those possibilities and and things. So so thank you for that, Rod. You've uh, really planted a seed in my head there. I think I want to be in a constant state of cool. 
<laughs> you are in a constant state of cool, Alex. I it's don't just, think the rest I of the world hasn't I... realised it yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as a phrase. Just being in a constant state of cool. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a gift. I absolutely leapt all over that phrase as soon as he said it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that another slogan for a T-shirt, I'm thinking? Oh, yeah. You know, Northern and Geordie Guide to Happiness slogans for yeah. T-shirts. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I love that. And yeah, similar to what you've just said, Chris, uh, I-, I love this discussion that he had around this this love of the I- an idea of the North, you know, mm. whether you're um, in the northeast of England or northern, northern Europe and... Uh, yeah, so just so much, so much in there, uh, Dom. Such a, a, a great interview. Um, and I think the sort of last few minutes, actually, for me, was really um, special when you kind of asked him what his sort of advice, hints, tips were for people. And just, yeah, some great pearls of, of wisdom there in terms of, you know, things will pass. Mm-hmm. It, it, things will get better mm-hmm. um so just hang on in there if you are going through a bit of a tough time really so yeah just loads of great stuff in there thanks don thanks rod he wasn't it wasn't what i was expecting because it wasn't highfalutin performer character it was a it was a real a real person there was a real person speaking there and uh, and the music and and the stories about the music and Stockholm was mm. was wonderful, um, but I had a mental picture of him in his garden in in Northumberland, mm. and then when he started to talk about tinkering in the shed, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with but he he doesn't tinker in the shed with ordinary things. He tinkers in the shed with Japanese guitars. Yeah. Mm. Just thought, oh, that is wonderful. So I thoroughly enjoyed listening to that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was it was a really really interesting chap, really down to earth and mm. uh, really generous as well. I thought um, I, I first met Rod uh, when we both were at a, a local cinema, and um, I was talking to somebody there in the kitchen, and they said, "Oh, you you play guitar? What sort of stuff do you play?" And I went, "Oh, you know, like kind of Bert Yanch style <laughs> finger picking stuff." <laughs> and this guy who was uh, a, a guide, kind of, I saw him give me a funny look. And then as we left the room, the person I was talking to went, do you know who that was? <laughs> and I said, uh, no, sorry. And I, sorry, Rod. And went, that's, that's Rod from Lindisfarne. And then I ended up having a chat with him and he said, oh yeah, I used to live with Bert Janssen. We were like the odd couple. We, we shared a flat. <laughs> <laughs> so like I was a bit embarrassed, but actually I was, it was really, I said, oh, I'm thinking of getting a new guitar. And I, um, just he just said, "Well, I'll come and help you pick one." And he came in on one of his days off and took me around town to pick a, to help me find a new guitar. Wow. And it's my favorite guitar. And and it, he was going, oh, "What about this one?" And he was picking it up and playing kind of all the kind of folk canon tunes in <laughs> in windows and places like that. And I was just like, "We were just like, oh my god." Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I was. It was really nice to reconnect with him and just ask, just to get to know him a little bit and. Yeah, what a, what a genuine, decent person. I really enjoyed that, yeah. Yeah. yeah as cool. Kath said, it just came across as so down to earth. And just, I think, when you do, you know, hear of, of, of people in, in the public eye and you just kind of see this this one side of them and then to hear his stories of tinkering in the shed and, and with yeah. his, his, his woodwork and things like that, it's like, it's, it's lovely to hear those sort of snippet, you know, those everyday things. Yeah, 
it was really hard because I wanted to get into real detail there. <laughs> obviously, that was being too nerdy, but I got really excited about the pickups. I've got to be honest. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, thank you very much, Dom, and thank you so much, Rod, for your time. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidestohappiness.co.uk, or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the northeast through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle COVID Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. Next time, we have Adam Goldwater on the podcast. Adam works at the Great North Museum, Hancock. So we might talk a little bit about dinosaurs and Romans, but yes. we'll also be talking about happiness as always and what that means to him. So you'll hear me ask questions like this. So what does happiness mean to you then? You've, you've used the word a few times already in, in this interview. What, what do you think about when you think about happiness? And hear him give answers like this. It's a mixture of all sorts of things. So it's being, being content. I think happiness can stimulate other actions like creativity. So if you're happy and content, you, it, it can kind of stimulate creative thoughts so if I think about that wonderful place up in the North Tyne, that helps me, that kind of peace, spirituality of the place, that kind of sense of satisfaction, that joy that comes with thinking about being there kind of helps to stimulate those kind of other kind of outputs, I suppose, that that can help you more be more focused. So I think it's all sorts of things that combine that in a sense, join with happiness to make you feel healthier, both mentally and physically. So it's that spur, that that recharging and that energizing. For me, that's what happiness is. It's that that tingle that is stimulating other things that can energize your recharge your batteries to help you to go on to do other things. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode.